If you have a Bible, please grab it and make your way to where we were just reading from there in Matthew chapter 6. And the title for the sermon today comes from uh, the movie or the play, Wizard of Oz. Uh, you know, you've got lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And today we have giving and praying and fasting, oh my. And the oh my is not so much because those things are scary like lions and tigers and bears, but because they are weighty. They are heavy matters. And we could spend weeks on uh, each one of those if we wanted to break them up. And we will actually come back and, and talk a little bit next week about prayer, but all three of these things are weighty. I mean, they are all over the Bible. And if you look throughout history and just kind of think about, okay, what are like marks of vintage Christianity? If I was going to try to think through and lay out some marks of vintage Christianity, what would they be? These three things, giving to the needy, praying, and fasting historically over the last 2,000 years, maybe not so much recent, but over the last 2,000 years, these would all be near the top. This is what Christians do. This is what the church does. And friends, that's 100% rightly so. We are to carry these things out. And we're going to see Jesus say that today. He is going to emphasize the importance of these three spiritual disciplines. And say, yes, you need to do these. But like Jesus so often does, he's also going to come at our heart and say, but hey, check your motives too. Like You need to do them, yeah, but you need to check your motives as well. Why do you do these things? And so as we make our way through uh, these kind of three sections today, giving to the needy and, and praying and fasting, we are going to let that first word from the entire passage be the driver, sit in the driver's seat for all of our thoughts. And it's the word beware. Beware. And so there's three things that I want, I think, pop out of this text that we need to beware of this morning. And the first one is this. Okay, ready? Number one in your notes. Beware of not practicing your righteousness. Beware of not practicing your righteousness. Like you're, we need to do this, and so we need to beware of, of, of not actually doing it. And I want to highlight that one, first of all, because so often we just read this passage and we jump straight to the main point of this passage, which is all about motives, truly. That's what the main point is. But we first need to understand that Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, you need to practice righteousness. I mean, when you look at verse 1, just look, it's embedded in there. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness, i.e., like, you should be doing this. It's an expectation, right? You should be doing this. Beware of doing it, though, in order to be seen by others. And so embedded in there is an assumption of Jesus, an expectation that you will be doing these things, that you will be practicing your righteousness. That's why he says in verse 2, when you give, not if, when, like it's expected, you should be doing these. And in verse 5, when you pray, not if, again, it's expected, we should be living these things out. When you fast, okay, again, expected, not an if statement there. And so while Jesus is going to warn against hypocrisy, absolutely, he never says that we should avoid 
living our faith out in practical and even invisible ways. I mean, as you live your faith out, people are going to see it. Jesus says as much, and he actually says it's it's a good thing. Like in this same sermon, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Read that again. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so again, Jesus never means that we should like hide away all of our good deeds and they should never be seen ever by anybody else. In fact, sometimes it's a good thing that that happens. But the point is you don't do it in order to be seen. Not that you can't be seen, but you do not do it in order to be seen. That's the issue. And so kind of putting those two thoughts together, light of the world, but do these things in secret that we read here. I think a theologian named John Stott really sums it up well and kind of puts the cookies on the lowest shelf when he writes this. It is our human cowardice which made Jesus say, let your light shine before men. Like, don't be a coward. Live your faith. In the face of this world, live your faith. Don't be a coward, right? And so... It is our human cowardice which made Jesus say, let your light shine before men and our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety before men. And so friends, when you are tempted to hide and not let anybody see that you love Jesus, you live for Jesus, when you are tempted to hide, show Christ. But when you are tempted to show yourself that's when you hide. You understand that? When you are tempted to hide and not live for Christ, man, show him. But when you're tempted to show yourself, yes, go hide. And so we need to, we need to live out our faith. We need to do that. So beware of not doing it. Beware of not practicing your righteousness. Right? It is expected that we live our faith out. That's number one. Number two in your notes, and we've already hit it a little bit, but number two is, so, so number one, beware of not practicing your righteousness. Number two, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. Be what, number two in your notes, beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. And so here's where Jesus is really going after the jugular and getting after our motive. Like, why do we do what we do? Giving and praying and fasting, like we should do that. But what is the motive? What is our motive? Like whose applause do you live for? Ultimately. Like think personally here. Don't think about other people, all they live for. Don't, no, you. Just you and the Lord for a minute. Whose applause do you really live for? Is it co-workers, what they might think of you? You want their applause? Bosses, 
what they might think of you. You want their applause. Employees, what they might think of you. You want their applause. Friends, what they might think of you. You want their applause. There's nothing wrong with wanting some applause from other people and being congratulated for a job well done. But what are, like, whose applause do you ultimately want? Other people's or your Father who is in heaven? That's the, that's the question Jesus is really driving after here. He's teaching us that as we do good works, as we carry out spiritual disciplines like giving and praying and fasting, we need to continually be asking ourselves this question. In fact, the word beware right there in verse 1 is a present imperative. So that means it carries with it a continual action, continually asking ourselves, having vigilance and watchfulness to ask ourselves, like, am I doing this thing because I truly desire to honor and glorify God, or am I doing this to honor and glorify myself? Like, am I doing it to honor and glorify God, or am I using God to honor and glorify myself? Because everybody will tell me, good job. And so Jesus first applies this to our giving there in verse 2. He describes a guy who's giving a gift. And so naturally, you know, when you, I mean, whenever you give a gift, you should get a trumpeter to come blow a horn and tell everybody, right? That's what this guy is doing. He's getting a trumpeter to come blow a horn so he can be seen by others. And Jesus is saying, that's all the reward you're going to get. And so, like, bringing that down into our lives, at the point where giving something ceases to really be about God and becomes more about you, at that point it ceases to be a gift and becomes a purchase. Because you're buying people's applause. And so the gift is really not even about helping anybody else. It's about using them to help you. And I think this is kind of what is happening a lot today, just a very practical way, with college applications. I think college applications used to, you know, they'd ask for your community involvement because they wanted to see, you know, what you were involved with in the community, see what kind of student they're getting, you know, perhaps to come matriculate at their university. But what is create, what that has created, at least for some, is like a culture of hypocrisy where you have people, they don't give a rip about the mission of some organization, and they do not want to be involved. They want to have the least amount of involvement as possible just so they can put it on their college application. That's hypocrisy. That's not helping you know, anybody. That's using them to help you. And if it's not a college application, maybe on our resumes. Resumes that we're going to, you know, looking for a better opportunity, a different job or whatever. Or maybe not a, like, legit resume, but, but, I mean, all of your social, all of my social, our social media, you know, outlets are basic resumes. Here's who I am. Here's what I am about. And so let me show all these amazing things that I've done so you can all praise me. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, 
give, absolutely, yes, of your money, your time, your, you know, your best effort in serving a certain, like whatever it is that you're involved in, yes, give. But when you do, forget about yourself. And forget about what other people may think. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't trumpet it. You don't have to... Don't, don't trumpet it today. Like, don't try to get likes with it. Forget about yourself. Do it as unto the Lord. Then similarly, same thing. He applies to prayer there in verse 5. Don't be like a hypocrite, right? When you pray, don't, don't, like just practically, when you pray, don't get a prayer voice. I remember when we were uh, still meeting in the school down here, Sunset Middle School, before we had a building, we were just beginning to talk about what it would be like to build a building, that sort of thing. We were meeting with some guy and, you know, discussing certain things, and the meeting was over, and he asked if he could pray for us, and I was like, sure, that'd be great. Thank you very much. And I'm thinking, oh, neat. This guy's like a, a Christian. This will be, you know, this is a wonderful thing. And so we had been talking the whole time like this, just normal voice. And then he's like, can I pray for you? And I was like, sure. And then all of a sudden it was, dear Lord, I beseech thee that thy... I mean, I was like, that's not how you talk, dude. This is fake. We're not hiring you. I mean, I didn't tell him that, but that's what went through my head. You don't need to get some sort of crazy prayer. Like, that's just to be seen. Don't do that. And definitely, if you ever do pray in public, whether that's in a community group or Thanksgiving meal, like if, you, if your family's primarily not Christians and you're the Christian, then they're going to ask you to, to pray at Thanksgiving. Like, I am the designated prayer at all things. Don't pray differently than you do in private. So the call's not like that you can't pray in public, but it's don't do it differently trying to get a show, trying to get applause, trying to get attention. And so pray, absolutely, yes. But when you do, forget about yourself and forget about what other people think. Do it as unto the Lord. He sees. He will reward. And then verse 16, now he applies it to fasting. And, and the guy who's like, man, it's so hard. It's so hard to fast like this. I mean, I'm working so hard at this. Or, or they'll tw twist it and be like, hey, I want to I ask you to pray for me because I'm, I'm fasting today. It, still, it, you're faking a prayer request to get people to think highly of you. Right? Don't do that. Like, if, if you fast or you're doing something hard and you're serving the Lord, great. Self-discipline is expected in as part of following Christ. That is an expectation. But don't sit there and try to get people to praise you for it. Do your fasting before the Lord. He sees. So if you're going to fast or any of those things, here's your tips. Number one, take a shower. Number two, wear deodorant. Number three, fix your hair and smile. Right? Don't fake. So hard, Rob. Can't wait for midnight. Make a run for the border. And so the whole point, you, you see the word three times in here, is like, don't be a hypocrite. That's the point. Now, we talked about Wizard of Oz earlier. Uh, my father-in-law is here today, and he has acted in theater pretty much like his whole life. Um, last time I saw him doing something was with Wizard of Oz. He was doing the, the, the lion, right? 
uh, with the Fremont Civic Theater out in Canyon City, Colorado. And this word hypocrite actually comes from the theater world. It, it is a word that, uh, like in ancient Greek theater, it is a Greek word, Hippocrates, and we have just transliterated it into English, but it translates literally as actor. That's what it means. And so when Jesus is calling people hypocrites, he's saying, listen, you're just being theatrical with this. You're just playing a part. You're just being an actor. Like in the olden days, they didn't, ancient drama, they didn't wear makeup, they wore masks. And he's like, you just got a mask on, but underneath, you're fake. That's the idea of hypocrite. And then also, like, in the ancient drama, the chorus, like, played a, a major role in uh, the play. I mean, even in, like, Hamilton today, if you've, if you've uh, seen that or you remember that, the chorus often provided commentary on, like, what was going on. And the hypocrites... The actors in the ancient dramas, they answered the chorus. And that's exactly the point here, is that hypocrites are those who answer to the chorus of people's opinion instead of the Lord's. What chorus do you answer to? Is it the crescendo of those around you? Or the still small voice of your Father who's in heaven? And friends, friends, when you answer to the crescendo of those around you, that not only robs God of the glory due His name, but it also harms you. It robs you of joy and peace and cannot help but render you circumstantially bipolar. Where when things are going well, when things are, you know, you're, you're getting the praise you want, your idol is being fulfilled, then yes, things are great. But when that's taken from you, or it's not going so well, or you're struggling in that way, and you're not getting your idol, things are devastating, and you're lost. And so you wind up, you find yourself, as you look, trying to get the applause of men, you, you, you live a life incessantly of living on a treadmill, chasing after the fickle opinion of crazy people. When you could set your hope and security and identity in Christ, whose opinion of you does not change. He always loves you. He always for, is for you. He doesn't say, oh, well, yeah, you know, you're, like, your performance, like, if, if you arrest in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your, God's love towards you cannot vacillate because the Father's love for the Son cannot change. You can't love Him more, can't love Him less. And if you are in Christ, then God's love for you cannot vacillate up or down based upon what you do because it's not based upon what you do in the first place. It's based upon what Christ did for you in, in your place. His actions, not yours.
And so, friend, don't be an actor. Don't be a Hippocrates. Don't seek glory from others, but also watch your motive and don't do, start doing something so that you can get glory from yourself. And pat yourself on the back. Man, I'm so good. I do such good things. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're just doing stuff to try to make yourself feel better, feel good about yourself, or assuage some sort of real or false guilt you have about something, and just make yourself feel good, again, it just became not a gift, but a purchase. You're buying off your guilt. You're buying good feelings about yourself. And you're not really interested truly in helping someone but using them to help you feel better. And listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't have good feelings. Like, it does feel good to... I mean, the Bible is clear. It is better to give than to receive. There are good things that happen. So don't hear me wrongly. But do hear Jesus saying, check your motives. Always. Check your heart. Beware of that. We are... I mean, the call here is to practice our righteousness, but not to be seen. And, and truly, when he says practice righteousness, he's talking about like truly living it out. But I think there's even a lesson for us if we kind of twist it a little bit what, or, or, or thought differently about the word practice for a second. Like practice in the sense of uh, a recital or a sport or practicing for a play. Like think about practice in that way for just a minute. Like, it's only when you're learning something that you're really super cognizant of all the particularities that have to go into place in something. So, for example, Sarah and I are teaching our oldest to drive right now. And she's doing great. But when you're learning to drive, like, you've got to think about all these things. Um, you know, I'm in a turn only lane. That means I do this. Uh, I need to, uh, my blinkers. I need to check my, my, my blind spot, uh, the wipers. I need to get lights on. I need to, you know, all these different things that you just got to keep in mind. But as you progress, it just becomes second nature where you don't even think about it. I mean, how many of you have driven for a period of time, like have to actively think as you're driving, okay, where are the lights and how do I... Some of you may have, like, fancy cars. I got an old car. You still got to flip the lights on, okay? But, like, where do I turn the lights on? You don't think about that. You just do it. It's natural. I mean, Tedra also, when she comes up here and plays the piano, she doesn't think about, okay, where do I place my left ring finger? Right? And she doesn't look at music and have to look at the, the, the lines and be like, uh, EGBDF, EGBDF, these are the lines of the treble clef. Like, she doesn't have to think through these things. She knows these things. It's just natural. She just goes with it. And that's the way it should be with our righteousness. The goal is that it would get to a place where it is so second nature, we don't even have to think through the fact like that we should give to the needy and we should pray and we should... It's just, we just live our lives. Kind of like John was highlighting when he read through Matthew 25 as they you know, gave food and drink and clothing and visited in prison. They didn't even realize, you know, Jesus said, hey, when you did it to them, you did it to me. And, and they didn't even realize that they've been, they've been doing it. They're just like, oh, really? That's just what we do. That's what it means to follow you, right? It's just second nature. That's the goal that we want to get to. True righteousness has no vanity, no calculations of what something's going to be for you, no self-congratulations, no egotism. And so, friends, beware to practice your righteousness. 
Like we need to live it. But beware of why you live it. Beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others. But as I read this passage weeks ago, and then even this week in preparing, I've become increasingly convicted uh, about something in my own personal life. Something that I know I need to be aware of. And so I'm betting that there's a high probability that many of you need to be aware of this as well. And it's this, and it's number three in your notes. Beware of forgetting that we really are to care for the needy. Like, it's not optional. Beware of forgetting that we really are to care for the needy. And again, if you look historically at Christianity the last 2,000 years, that's vintage Christianity. Hospitals, orphanages, it's the church that did that. Homeless shelters, food kitchens, it's the church that did that. Salvation Army, started by William Booth. It's the church, it's Christians who did these things. During the bubonic plague, during the Black Death, during various famines. Like we you know, have a Christmas auction named after Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon died because of a famine in China. Christians go to these places. Christians work in these places. This is what it, this is vintage Christianity, caring for the needy. And, but I fear we, and by we, I definitely absolutely mean me, but maybe some of you as well, have downplayed this, maybe. We've forgotten that caring for the poor isn't optional for the Christian. I mean, when Jesus lays out like these three things that kind of mark his followers that he expects them to do, we would absolutely be like, oh yeah, prayer, absolutely, that's what a Christian should do. And, and, you know, I don't really do it, but fasting is kind of that too. We probably should do that. But then we completely downgrade caring for the poor a lot of times and we treat it like, like it's an upgrade in a car rental. I don't have to do it. It'd be good if you upgrade, but no, no, no. Jesus is saying It is part of the car. Can't leave it off. But too often we kind of live with just uh, out of sight, out of mind. I don't see it a whole lot, so it doesn't really bother me. And yeah, it kind of stinks. It kind of stinks. Sorry about that, but I'm not really sorry enough to do anything about it. Not sorry enough to change any of my lifestyles or habits to help you. But friends, the call to care for the needy is all over Scripture. You probably can't turn the page without seeing it on every single page. It's everywhere. And like here, we've got it. It's just stated as an expectation. When you give. To the needy. And in other places, you have specific calls. Give to the needy. And then you have specific warnings. Hey, if you don't give to the needy, 
I could give you dozens and dozens. I'll just give you two easy ones so that you can remember them because they're from the same chapter in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Verse 21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Ten verses later, verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Now, who is the poor man's maker? This is easy. God is his maker. You oppress a poor man, you fill in the blank. We could, we could use other adjectives there for poor for just a minute. Other context, you insult their maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, that him being the maker. And so I think maybe this has become a little bit of a blind spot for American Christianity. We are such an affluent people in an impoverished world. As I read this week, if you make only $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the people on the planet. $10,000 a year. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are wealthier than 99% of the people on the planet. 99%. Meanwhile, there's more than a billion people, a billion people on the earth who are in desperate need live in desperate poverty, lacking food, water, clothing, shelter. I mean, worldwide today, today, Sunday, what is it, October the 18th, 26,000 children will die of starvation and preventable diseases. 26 Haley, Claire, Kira, and Edens will die. If that was Williamson County, that means every child under the age of 18 would be dead in less than three days. And we'd go crazy. But out of sight, out of mind. Care about if it's my kids, but if it's someone else's kids, it doesn't really matter. And so I'm reading God's Word this week. I'm getting convicted about how maybe this has been a blind spot in my life. I'm repenting. I'm reading these stats as I'm researching these things. And then even Facebook memory got in on the game. Because Mark's going to throw some photos up here. Six years ago, I was here with Steve Qualls. This is, a, Paul's right there, this is Iquitos, Peru. Each of these little dots along the riverbank that you can see, go to the next one, is an outhouse. Every single one of them. The river's where they wash their dishes. Outhouse, wash dishes. Outhouse, wash dishes. Outhouse, wash dishes. In Iquitos, Peru, 62% of the people live in poverty. 42% of the people live in extreme poverty. 
20% of children have never attended school at all, and within the extreme impoverished group, it's 40% have never been to school, not one time. Iquitos is only accessed by boat or airplane. You cannot drive into the place. It's in the deep jungle of, of, of the Amazon. And there's a problem where the poverty is such that moms kick their children out, their boys, around the age of eight because they can't provide for them anymore. And so the boys are on the streets and the boys must either steal, steal or sell the one thing that they have, which is their body. And so bad people travel from faraway places into this very remote place to do bad things to these boys. We partnered here at the church with an organization called Not Forgotten, which tells these boys, hey, you're not forgotten by us and you're not forgotten by God. And they adopt these boys, it, it, they, they pull these boys off of the streets. And it's not an orphanage in the sense of, you know, we hope someone will make, someday be moved by God to make and give them a forever home. They say, no, this is your forever home. And parents come there. Parents live there with eight boys in the house and they raise them and love them and they teach them the gospel. They give them an education and they even will pay for them to go to university. And so they're seeking to create change and break the cycle from the inside and release these boys into Peruvian society to change it. And so we partner with them as a church. Some of you partner with them individually. Similarly, some of you have partnered with an organization called Hope for Cora in Ethiopia. Cora is a community within Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, that is built on a trash dump. It began years ago as kind of a community for outcast lepers. It has grown into a community of 130,000 people, some of the most beautiful, resilient, smart, hardworking people who live in unbelievable situations. And like I said, some of us are partnering with these. That's, that's great. Some of you have told stories of foregoing, giving each other Christmas presents, and instead you partner with like Samaritan's Purse, and you purchase for your significant other, you know, hey, I'm in your, for Christmas, instead of giving something to you, I have given a milk goat to a family in Somalia. So they have milk. They can milk it, sell it, make butter, make cheese, make... And so that's awesome. But what if that wasn't the exception in our church? What if that wasn't like a couple of people will do that? What if, what if we all partnered with some Christian, because we're not just trying to meet physical needs, we're trying to meet spiritual needs, but they go together, Okay. What if we partner with some Christian international organization to combat poverty? What, is that, what if we all did that? And then what if we also all did that locally? I mean, right here within a 10-mile radius of this church, there is poverty all over the place. Poverty in the United States is defined as making less than $17,000 for a single family with one child or less than $25,000 for a family of four. And in Davidson County, there are 86,000 people that meet that criteria. Many of them are refugees. In Rutherford County, there's 33,000 people who meet that criteria. In Williamson County, there's only 10,000, but do you know where they live? 
80% of them live along the Nolensville Corridor, Nolensville Road, from the border with Davidson County down to College Grove, 80%. That is why our food pantry is always humming. When Debbie opens it up, when Chad opens it up, volunteers help open it up on Thursdays, there's a line waiting. And then on top of that, you have the pandemic going right now. People have lost jobs. People have lost businesses. And sure, they may drive up in a car nicer than I will ever own. But they are this far from losing everything. And so here's what I want to ask us. I want to ask us as a congregation to consider, to consider partnering Individually, the church does a lot of this. We'll be going through our new budget at our next members meeting in December, and you'll see a lot of this. But to consider individually, in addition to what we do as a church, partnering with an international Christian organization to help combat poverty. And I've listed several uh, in your sermon guide. If you have questions on those, you can let me know. And so consider that. But then, second thing I want to ask everybody is not just to consider, but to absolutely get physically involved with the Nolensville Food Pantry. Physically, like we need more workers. But we also, quite frankly, need more money. The regular giving to the food pantry that happens throughout the year isn't happening as much this year. Naturally so. We're in a pandemic. I get that. A lot of people lost jobs. A lot of people... Life Community Church, you may see this or may not, they have for years run um, an event called Hoggin' and Joggin', which is kind of gross and amazing at the same time. But the point is, it gives us a lot of money. This year they couldn't do that. I mean, it gives us like $26,000. This year they couldn't do that. You know what they did? They took a Sunday and gave the food pantry all of their tithes and offerings from a Sunday. That's amazing. Thank you, guys. But I want to ask us, like, what we are doing here at our church, like, since we haven't received that, like, let's make that up and more, like, abundantly. I do not want to have to dial back the nearly 200 families that we give a Thanksgiving dinner to. Last year, provided Christmas gifts to. And listen, I want to make sure you understand, I do very little of this. This isn't like, this is Debbie. Debbie Nolan runs this. Debbie is, so, she loves and knows these families. We do not want to dial that back. Instead, we want to be able to continue to provide. And so just watch this quick little video. Mark's going to throw up that Sierra Hopper uh, put together last week. The pantry changed pretty abruptly in March. March 5th was our last Thursday for patrons coming in and shopping for groceries. We realized pretty quickly that we were going to have to do something to get food out. The following week, the pantry stayed closed. We started packing boxes and getting the word out for the need of food because food became hard to purchase in bulk. 
On March 19th, we started giving out boxes of food, toilet paper, bread, and snack bags. Every week at first, I would get panicky. Where would the food come from? We're not gonna have enough. How can we keep this up? But when I let go of my worries and let God be in charge, I knew we were gonna be all right. Providence, many churches in the community, local businesses, schools, and our Nolensville neighbors all stepped up and supplied food for our weekly distribution. We came together to support the needs of families. Since March, we have added in eggs, fresh vegetables, fruit, diapers, and baby food. During this time, we have served over 100 different families. This could not have been done without every item and donation that has been given and without our wonderful workers that tirelessly work weekly to prepare for Thursday mornings. I'm so thankful for you all. We're getting ready for the holidays. As most of you know, every year we give out food boxes for both Thanksgiving and Christmas, and at Christmas we give out presents for the families. This year it's gonna look a whole lot different. We usually adopt these families out, and the family or person that you adopt, you shop for, and then drop the gifts off for our volunteers to sort through and get ready. This year's mass collection and distribution, it's just gonna to be too difficult. So we have come up with using gift cards. I know, gift cards don't sound much fun. It's a blessing to shop for a family and know that they're gonna have presents underneath their tree on Christmas morning. But this year, we're gonna give that blessing back to the family and we're gonna allow them to go out and shop for what they need or want. Today, we're kicking off a gift card drive. We'll be collecting gift cards from $10 to $100, and they need to be back by November 22nd. We're also kicking off a non-perishable food drive. We need this back by November 22nd also. The food and the gift cards can be dropped off at the church on Sunday mornings in front of the fireplace or at the church office during the week. We really appreciate your help in supporting us and blessing these families. We couldn't do it without all of you. So let's get started and bless these families and fill our shelves. And so that's what we're doing. We are kicking off today a food drive, non-perishable, as well as a gift card drive. And so uh, 10 to Ten to a hundred dollars. You can also just donate uh, on PushPay, our, our online giving. You can give straight to the food pantry. That's always been set up. And so, but that's what we're doing today. And so, church family, I'm saying, let's do this. Let's provide. Let's consider adopting individually uh, organizations outside. But let's all together, everybody involved, everybody involved, even your children, teach your small ones to give and to sacrifice. And let's provide, let's buy cans, let's buy gift cards, Walmart, Target, what, whatever. And bring it in by November the 22nd. You can bring it in anytime, bring it in tonight, bring it in next week, whatever. Let's just do this as a church family. This is one way we can very practically practice righteousness and not to be seen. but because we are followers of Christ. We do it not in order to be seen, but in order to care for Jesus. I say, care for Jesus? Yeah. Because he said, 
Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your non-stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Thank you for the grace that you lavish upon us, the mercy that you continually give us. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us and opens our eyes, Lord, to places we've been blind. And Father, forgive us for our blind spots that we haven't seen. Father, help us to understand and not, not, not get a wrong impression like having, having wealth is not a sin. Money is not sinful. Some of your greatest followers were ridiculously wealthy, but it's a question of stewardship. We, Psalm 67, have been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Like never-ending Pez dispensers. You load us up to dispense. Help us to be good dispensers. Help us to steward whatever it is you've given us. Time, talent, abilities, physicality. finances, yes. Help us to steward all of these things for the praise of your glorious grace and guard us forever against doing it in order to be seen by others. We do not want the reward of applause from people. We want the reward of hearing well done thy good and faithful servant. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.